the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 and as we close out the week. It's a delight that we have this uh, now regular segment for our closing hour with Rabbi Pinchas Alou. She is the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in um, in the Valley of the Sun over on Shea. Is it Scottsdale technically? Is it Scottsdale PV, Phoenix? That's correct. Yeah. And he is, of course, the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it at Apple Podcasts. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Rabbi, one of the um, one of the interesting things in our third hour here, end of a very political week, I kind of like the idea of getting a little bit of a remove from politics. Dennis Prager laments the fact that politics is everywhere all the time. There are no sanctuary cities, if you will, or sanctuary places away from politics. So it's nice to have you to kind of give us a break, especially on a week so dominated by it. So thank you for being with us. Of course, it's a delight being here. It's important if you want to say a word about that, that we're not consumed with the political all the time. I mean, I suppose... One looks at um, the Bible or the Torah and thinks that, yes, there is a religious and national aspect combined in all of it. But it's also important to just take a break from the way that we debate and talk about the political issues. Your, your, your synagogue, for example, your shul is not a political one. I think we err when we make pulpits too political, don't you? I so agree. I so agree. I think politics should stay away from any place of worship because— uh, if you think about this, they uh, speak different languages. Mm. Politics speak the language of what and how, maybe, and uh, religion speaks the language of why. Mm. But moreover, I think politics speak about the outside world, mm-hmm. and places of worship should speak about the inside world, nice. what is happening in our own beings, in our own souls. Well, that's a pretty good uh, springboard to start our discussion with your podcast of the week, and let's distill it before we get to this other issue that I uh, had emailed you about from a a listener of ours. And your podcast of the week, One Act That Can Change Your Life. And folks, you can get Rabbi Alusha's podcast at Apple, uh, at podcast.apple.com or through your Apple um, app. app. It's uh, three to five minutes that will change your week for the better. One act that can change your life, and it's a takeoff from what we read this week in the uh, in the Torah portion of the week. You want to say a word or two about this, sir? Yes, absolutely. No, thank you for mentioning this. So, uh, you know, we often think that it is the big acts that change our lives. If we just get this job, if we were just married to this person, if we just had this type of child, then our lives would be much better. And we forget that it's really the small little acts, the day-in and day-out acts that really change our lives. But uh, the, that mindset needs to be the mindset that really uh, paves the path ahead. Without that mindset, then we get lost. And sometimes we not only get lost, but our lives begin to uh, be filled with frustration and misery. 
life becomes more of a challenge to overcome than a joy to behold, one might say. And, well and, put. And, and, and you take this from the portion about how we, how we dress. Talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about this, this notion of, of, of the clothes we wear internally and externally. And feel free to go to Leviticus on this if you'd like to. Sure, yes. So there is tremendous emphasis in Leviticus on how the priest had to dress in order to serve in the temple. In fact, there's a whole portion dedicated just to their clothing. You know, some of the priests had four types of clothing. The high priest had eight. And the big question is, of course, why such emphasis on clothing? And as you mentioned, there are two types of clothing. There's the external clothing, what we dress, uh, what we dress ourselves with. And, of course, there's the internal clothing, which really relates to the mindset that we have. How do we dress our emotions? How do we channel our thoughts? That's the internal clothing. Now, both are important. I think there is uh, science that backs the fact that the way you dress will have an effect on how you behave. If you dress in a dignified way, you'll behave in a dignified way. But I think that the internal clothing, not many speak about, including science. And the internal clothing really speak to this idea that in order to truly have a meaningful life, I have to be dressed with meaning. And if I have an emotion that doesn't lead me to meaning, then I will not be able to really have that meaningful life. So just just not, not to be too long, but to give you a very short example, when my little five-year-old daughter tells me that, oh, I'm so insulted, this person said this to me, I say to her, well, let's dress this emotion. Let's not crush it, let's dress it. So you're insulted. So now you can say, yes, I'm going to act and be enraged. Or you can say, all right, I have this emotion, maybe... I should dress it in a way that is constructive and meaningful. So maybe now you know how to speak to your own friends to not make the mistake that this person made towards you. And in a way, that is the type of clothing we have to have for emotions, channeling them in the right way so that they become productive, that they become emotions with which we can grow, not do the opposite. People who have a deep tie or connection to God or their religion, tend to have generally less self-esteem problems in the first place. Um, you see this uh, particularly uh, in, in certainly in Orthodox communities, but Orthodox communities and particularly with women of any religious faith, don't you? Um, there's something about, of course, a five-year-old is more subject to emotional assaults or insults than, than an older woman. But when one is tied to God, what the fellow human being may say to them negatively has less, less, less and less of an effect. Is, is that not right? That's correct, I would say. And if I had to ask the why question, yeah. maybe it is because we recognize that nothing happens to us, but everything happens for us. Okay. And when we realize that God has a plan for us and things happen indeed for us, then instead of becoming frustrated with what happens to us, we become empowered by what happens for us by asking, okay, if it happened for me, if this happened for me, even if it was negative, what is the blessing that I can find in it? What is the lesson that can, I can draw from it? And that usually leads indeed to a happier life. 
And maybe also it's not the human being. I mean, we should talk about this, and maybe we will on the other side of the break. Maybe it's not the human being, your tr- your fellow human being, you're trying to impress so much as something higher. I'll 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 be the first to quote the non-Jewish source this week, mm-hmm. the old story of President Lyndon Johnson. He had his assistant, Bill Moyers. Many people know Bill Moyers uh, from his PBS specials and so forth. But he was an assistant to Lyndon Johnson. They were having dinner one night, and Lyndon Johnson asked Bill Moyers to say a blessing before a prayer before they ate. And as Bill Moyers, who I believe is a trained uh, was trained as a minister, as Bill Moyers was saying the prayer, Lyndon Johnson, in his very brusque way, said, "Speak up! I can't hear you." And Bill Moyers says, "I wasn't addressing you, Mister President." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the way the stronger emotion prevails over any insults or assault. It's not about our fellow human beings. It's about something bigger and higher we're trying to impress. We're trying to prove it to something important to some some other entity or being than our fellow humans. That's Hopefully right. in so doing, it impresses <laughs> That's right. That's right. And of course, you want uh, the uh, God that you pray to to be in sync with the people that yeah. you engage with. Right. But you're right. And I think that also it gives us this sense of purpose and mission that wherever we are in life, we are there to fulfill a specific divine mission. And that in and of itself also immunes us to the negativities that can come along the way. Right, right. Because I'm on a mission. Right. If I'm on a mission, so I can deal with the negativities because a soldier can do so in uh, an army. And so, too, as a soldier of God, I can do that in the army of God. Right. And I think in both Christianity and Judaism, there is this notion of dressing and wearing the clothing to go out into the world, uh, whether it's a sword and shield or what have you. Uh, But to be dressed up appropriately, which was really the beginning of our discussion here, which I want to talk a little bit about a little bit more when when we do come back from the break, because I, I love this lesson you draw about the kind of clothing um, it's 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 a it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's it's meaningful. The clothing uh, that you might uh, be thought, maybe you have to read this week's portion to think that maybe you have to change your clothing to take out the garbage. Can we can can you pick up on that when we come back Absolutely. on the on the other side of this break? Sure. Um, the the interesting thing too about this 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 week's portion uh, in the reading is that its title is commandment, isn't it? It's sov commandment. Uh, Hebrew Hebrew word sav commandment, commandment, which I gather is also the etymology from which we get the word mitzvah, which is not good deed but commandment. That's correct. We'll talk about all of that with Rabbi Elush when we come right back. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard. Anyone welcome, religious, not religious, Jewish, not Jewish, and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. This week's portion on which you do your podcast, One Act That Can Change Your Life, you tell the story, we were getting into it a little bit in the previous segment, you tell the, the story we draw from the Bible, the lesson we draw from the Bible, of the specific clothing that was required to carry ashes out, if you don't mind. That's right. So ashes are, like you called it, the garbage of the temple, and they, they, 
the, the priest who was serving in the temple needed indeed to change their clothing and put some clothings of dignity in order to change the garbage. And one would ask, why is that necessary? We don't do that at home. If we have to throw away the garbage, we just uh, throw it away whether we're in pajamas or not, right? And why? why? (laughs) Pajamas may be an upgrade in my case, but sure, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But why why change clothing to throw the garbage of the temple? It's it's, it's just a banal act and, and an act that certainly doesn't necessitate any type of ceremony. But the answer is because God is trying to teach us that when we face the garbage of life or the part of life that we think is wasted, that we think even is negative, or that we even think smells, that we have to change clothing to recognize that this is coming, this garbage is coming to us to teach us a lesson. Mm -hmm. If we stay in the clothing that is mundane, that is simple, we will not be able to relate to that garbage because in a state of mind that doesn't recognize that we are on a mission as we spoke about, that we are God's agents in this world, then in that type of state of mind, garbage cannot be dealt with or the garbage will eventually overcome us. But if we know that we are God's agents in this world, that are sent sometimes indeed to throw away the garbage, to sift between the good and the bad, and to indeed fill this world with good and expel at the same time the bad, then we are able to deal with this garbage and truly throw it away and make this world a better place. So the changing of the clothing really relates to our idea, to this mindset, that we have to assume our role as being God's agents. And then, and only then, can we indeed throw away the garbage and fill this world with light. You make the point that clothing isn't just um, the physical cotton or wool that we wear. It's also the expression on our faces. Right. Say a word yeah. about that. That's correct. As, as, as simple as a smile. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating. But uh, there was an experiment, a social experiment done a few years ago in which people were asked to place a pencil to create the same movement in their mouth as, a, as, a, as the movement of the smile. And what's interesting is that they started seeing a shift in their behavior towards positivity, towards cheerfulness. And what uh, these scientists who who experimented on these people with that pencil, uh, uh, the the conclusion that they drew was that sometimes a smile can indeed change the clothing or the emotions Mm -hmm. of the person, even subconsciously. And we very much underestimate the power of a smile, not just the power of the smile to elevate someone's day, someone else's day, but the power of the smile to elevate our own day. Yeah, it changes your own mood, right? Um, and we're, we're going to get and transition this into this topic of, of victimhood in a few moments. But let me stay on that for a moment because you also bring out that it is inappropriate, maybe even worse, to take on the attitude of I'm not in the mood, I don't feel like doing something. We have to suit up and show up regardless of our own internal feelings, I suppose. Right. Uh, yeah. No, well said. I think that at the end of the day, life will not be measured by the way we felt. Right. It will be measured by what we did. Uh-huh. And therefore, we have to show up regardless of whether we're in the mood or not. Because life, your life, my life will be defined by what we did regardless of how we felt. 
the um the 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 jewish religion jewish faith is is a very action oriented faith uh sometimes for good sometimes for ill we spoke about polit not doing too much politics earlier but 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 there is something about the jewish faith and commandment that 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 is about activity and action um I, I suppose the common phrase is uh, the, pa- the people say, well, I intended to do well, but the path to hell we know is paved with good intentions. Intentions are irrelevant like feelings are irrelevant or perhaps should be. Of course, I say that. You disagree with me. You're the expert. I'm no expert. But I, Anything I, I say I, that's I, I wrong. Think I think mean, to put obviously. it this way, as a rabbi, unfortunately, I've gone to too many funerals and I have yet to hear a eulogy yeah. that focuses on the deceased feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But all eulogies, all without exception, focus on the person's deeds. Right. How a person wakes up in the morning is never mentioned in the eulogy right. because that's not what life is about. Whether we're in the mood or not, whether we feel like it or not, our life will be determined by what we did, not by what we felt. And that's just a fact of life. And um, I-, I think, therefore, feelings are indeed overrated. Yeah. Uh, we live in a day in a in a generation in which uh, we we feel all the time, uh-huh. even ev- even expressions such as "I feel like um, you know doing this" or "I feel like this is right." We hear that all the time. No. Uh, in my eyes, and certainly in Judaism's eyes, are wrong expressions because feelings should not be determining anything. Yeah, I, it's almost the death. Excuse me. It's almost the death of. Um of of godliness or the death of acting uh righteously or morally to even use the word i it's it seems to me that the 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 appropriate thing is to get rid of the personal pronoun i or for that matter perhaps even the collective pronoun of we right my truth is certainly not the truth right mm-hmm. uh i leads to feelings which leads to a pride, really, which is the opposite of, I think, the way we can act if we are trying to act in a morally or godly way. Fair right. And, and, and yes, and I say this really with pain in my heart because I, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but if you were to ask someone today in the street, what is your compass? What guides you in life? Unfortunately, many will answer my heart mm-hmm. yeah. instead of God, right. instead of an eternal truth that does not change. Mm-hmm. And when it's just my heart, yeah. then um, w- we we have a life that is at best distorted, right? And uh, at worst, very conflicting. Yeah, because the heart changes. Yeah, not everyone and has I feel a good this heart. Way, tomorrow, I feel something yeah. else. Yeah. and therefore it will be either distorted or unfortunately conflicting. Let me pick up on that and translate it into the discussion of victimhood when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Rabbi Pinchas Alush. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush with us. By the way, kind of a busy time of year. It didn't even dawn on me till the commercial break, and we were looking at schedules for next week. Not only, obviously, is the uh, portion of the week important as we head into the Sabbath, Rabbi. Uh, do you want to say something about the uh, the major holiday that's going to be taking place this week? There's a lot to say, but you can feel free to say whatever you want. Right. right I'm sure you can say something. Perhaps more worthy than what I'm about to say. That's not true. (laughs) I don't know. We we begin the segment with a lie. (laughs) I will allow you to uh, to egress from it. Perhaps. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, indeed, the festival of Passover is coming up this coming Wednesday evening until April 13th. And the festival of Passover is also known as the festival of freedom. Mm-hmm. And that is because it commemorates the Jews uh, finally being liberated from Egypt after 210 years of slavery, 3,335 years ago. But what it truly commemorates and celebrates is our ability to set ourselves free each and every day. You know, it's interesting because the word for Egypt in Hebrew is mitraim, which also means limitations. Mm. And what this teaches is that each time someone overcomes his own limitations, he sets himself free and he too comes out of Egypt. And that's really the message of Passover, that we each have limitations, whether it's self-imposed limitations or life-imposed limitations. But we also have the power to overcome them, whether overcoming a bitter relationship and repairing it, overcoming a challenge at work or at life, whether it's a, a bad habit, an addiction. We have the power indeed to overcome those limitations and to set ourselves free. And then Passover will not just be a story of the past, but will be a story celebrated in the present too. It's so interesting, the slavery narrative, uh, even with the American African-American experience in America, the, the old spiritual songs that sing about Moses and, and, and take those lessons from there. The thing I keep thinking about whenever Passover rolls around, something an old, um, an old friend of mine once talked about, she's a scholar of literature, Ruth Weiss, W-I-S-S-E, for people who may want to look up her work. She talked about the Passover story and freedom, but also the necessity of having the Jews having a desert experience. I wonder if you might say something about what that means, because it wasn't immediately from slavery to freedom. They had to go through a transitionary phase of learning an awful lot on the way, right? Right. Because as they say, you can take a prison out of prison, but very often you can't take the prison out of the prisoner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Statistics show that. You know, unfortunately, prisoners who have spent many years in prison end up, even after being set free, they end up back in prison because you can't take the prison out of the the prisoner very often. And that's the desert stage I think she's relating to, that the Jews needed to become not just physically free, but also mentally free. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. Mm That takes many tribulations. Mm -hmm. And once a person can overcome those tribulations day in and day out, and sometimes for 40 years, Mm -hmm. like the Jews in the desert, then they can become truly free. What is it about the holiday that is so uh, significant for children? You know, you often think of protecting children from horror stories, and the slavery story was a horror story. But yet we do bring children around the table and have them, in fact, tell much of the story around the dinner table. Might you say a word about the importance of children and their relationship to the story? Uh, Yes, sure. So there are two major elements. One, of course, is the element of education and uh, the idea that uh, the, the virtue of freedom will only remain wholesome if it can be passed down to the next generation. But there's a deeper idea. And that is that I believe, as Judaism does, that children embody freedom. Mm -hmm. They are, if you observe children, they are essentially free. You know where you see that the most? Because it's interesting. I dare ask the question, why is it that when adults fight, they thereafter can severe the ties for a year, for five years, for 10 years? 
They don't speak for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But why is it that when children fight, after five minutes, oh. they're best friends again? Interesting. And the answer, I think, is because when adults fight, they seek to be right. Uh-huh. When children fight, they thereafter seek to be happy. Aha. Uh-huh. I like that. And that's like the that. meaning of freedom, too. Like that's the that. child is celebrated on Passover. I like that. We're going to take a quick commercial break and say a word about victimhood when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Check out his podcast on Apple. just takes three to five minutes a week, and it'll improve your week. Be right back. We'd do the uh, opening in a language you could understand. Anything goes, <laughs> Rabbi. Anything goes, Rabbi. Pinchas Alush is our guest. Listener, uh, close listener to this show, Ethan, um, who is someone we both know well, uh, wanted to ask if you would speak a little bit more on victimhood. And it kind of is appropriate, given the other earlier discussions we were talking about, how one feels uh, should be basically an irrelevant notion. The notion that I don't feel like something, I'm not in the mood for something, we shouldn't think of ourselves as victims. This 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 line of thought permeates stories from, uh, I think he had mentioned everything, uh, I mean a lot of them, from, from Joseph to Esther. Uh, we are not to be seen as victims. We are not to yoke our happiness to uh, whether we feel we've been slighted or not. I'll turn it over to you. Right. Uh, the notion of victimhood is an interesting one, first and foremost, because in Hebrew there is no word for victimhood. There's no word for victim, perhaps because it doesn't exist. We don't believe in it. Um, and I would really draw inspiration from, you mentioned Joseph, yeah. from the story of Joseph. My favorite verse in the Torah I'll share with you in the Bible is the verse in which Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Those same brothers who had sold him are now facing Joseph, who became the vice king. And they're asking him for food. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And he finally reveals himself to them. He says, hey, I'm Joseph that you sold. And they become afraid. And then Joseph says to them, do not be afraid, altitrao in the words that the Bible uses, because you think you sold me here, you're wrong. I was sent here. You did not sell me here. Yes, I was sold, physically sold as a slave, but I never chose to see my story as someone who was sold. I always chose to see my story as someone who was sent. I am God's agent in this world. And I think it's so powerful because think about this. We can see our lives in one of two ways. Either I'm sold or I'm sent. You know what is sold? This chair that I'm sitting on is sold. This table is sold. They have no say. They're passive. They float on planet Earth. If you see your life, though, as being sent, then you see your life, as we've mentioned in the past, as an active participant in life. Yeah, with a mission, who right? has a mission yeah. that is not me-oriented, right. that is other-oriented. Mm-hmm that is divinely channeled. And that's the way really to become a vice king in our own right or a king altogether. You know, putting all of this together, and maybe we've spoken about this before, um, is the notion of thought and action. Um, A lot of people will say they're working on something in their head or they're thinking about something. Uh, Perhaps a lot of people who an issue we keep coming back to a little bit. We'll do something at length on it. People in the grips of uh, uh, some kind of addiction, whether it's a food addiction or an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction or something else, 
you know, they, 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 they think about wanting to get better. They think about stopping someday or reducing the, the negative behavior someday. Really opposite is true. At least I've maintained for a long time, and I think this is a lesson uh, from the Bible, that you can't think your way into better action, but you can act your way into better thinking. Mm. You agree? That's right. You know, it's it's interesting because it reminds me of one of the great uh, Jewish sages, Maimonides, who writes that many think that the hearts will lead to will lead us to action. Uh-huh. But the opposite is true. Yeah. Actions will lead our hearts to believing in what the actions are. Yeah. And um, it's true. I mean, I often say that if people feel frustrated or they wake up and they are depressed and they want to go back to sleep, the best way out of this is not to deal with that depression and to start analyzing the feelings. The best way to deal with this is to get up, go and visit the sick, mm-hmm. get up. And do something good for someone else. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you'll see that your actions will change your feelings altogether. Visiting the sick is a big commandment in Judaism. That, that's correct. Or any religion. That's right. And there's something, is it the handing down? I'll, get to, I'll butcher this a little bit wrongly, hopefully somewhat kosherly, though. There's something about the handing down of the, of the Ten Commandments where the people say we will, we will do and then understand? What am I thinking of? That's right. First we'll do, then we'll... That's correct. Right. That when the... Uh, Torah, you know, the, the five books of Moses yeah. were given on Mount Sinai. The Jewish people, according to the verse, exclaimed that they will do and then they will listen. Mm-hmm. Emphasizing exactly this point, mm-hmm. that we will lead our lives by action, not by feelings. And I think that creates a meaningful life. What it really does, if, if we were to get to the bottom of it, is that when I'm action-based, I shed my ego mm-hmm. and focus on the other. Mm-hmm. When I am feeling-based, I only enhance my ego. It's about me and the way I feel. You know, they say, it's a cute statement. Uh, I don't know how deep it is, but <laughs> they say that there are two words in English that are very similar. There's only one letter that separates between the two. Those words are soul uh-huh. and soil. Uh-huh. The difference between the two words is that soil is S O. I uh-huh. L uh-huh. soul is S O U L. Mm. If I am I oriented, then just like a passive piece of soil. Mm-hmm. If I am you oriented, S O U, then I become a living soul. Yeah, that does take us to where we were at the beginning of the show. It's it's really a complete circle where the whole notion of good action, good behavior, good deeds, uh, being in alignment with uh, a good morality is about. Uh, Suppressing, suppressing the ego, uh, suppressing the I, suppressing the mood, right? Right, right. I'll let you finish up on that with the last uh, few moments we have together if you'd like to. No, that's right. And, and going back, um, I'll go back to the notion you introduced to the child mm-hmm. and how that ch- the children embody this, this notion of freedom and of, of soul and of action instead of feelings. If you were to take a child and sit him on your lap, and ask him, try that at home with your children, and ask him or her, so tell me, how do you feel today? Uh, what's going through your mind? The child will look at you with this look of, of astonishment, like, what do you mean? What, what does this mean? Why? Because our children are busy doing, not busy feel, feeling. Yeah. And maybe that's why they're so happy. Yeah. Maybe that's why they don't hold grudges. 
Maybe that's why they're really free. Thank you, Rabbi Alush. Much appreciated. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. You can check out his podcast. He does one a week, not very long, three to five minutes in a world of wisdom in them at Apple Podcasts. Or you can um, see him uh, every week uh, at um, Congregation Beth Tefillah, B-E-T-H. Tefillah is T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, House of Prayer. And indeed, all welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Have a good Sabbath. Thank you, you too. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? We've got banks failing, stock market volatility, and possibly a recession coming. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time? A portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest compounded daily, you're paid monthly, no fees. Secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Talk to my friends at Y Refi. You can visit with them. They're local. I know them well, trustworthy and honest and no sales pitch. Y Refi is a due diligence approved firm and you can earn up to ten and a quarter percent rate of return. That's right, a ten point two five percent fixed rate of return. Fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34. I guess I'll close this week this way. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, if you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing left in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can walk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings and not lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, and if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Where there are no men, be a man. Folks, thanks for spending some of your day and some of your week with us. Bill, thank you. David, thank you. All of you, truly, thank you. Privileged to be with you. Till Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.